Charles Noe. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is hour one of episode 453. Uh, Jason Lingren is with me and Kalina Lux, who has been with us before from the Templus Aquaria. In a nutshell, we're going to be addressing the infrastructure that we all use called the internet. In case people haven't noticed, we're recording this on October 13th. And as of October 1, uh, there was a real change in how we are able to function. And you've got to bear in mind that we're doing this from a private server. We don't drive this from social media. We have covered a topic or two, which immediately upon posting, people lost their platforms. Some of those platforms had no strikes, no so-called infringements. They were just deleted. It feels to me like what people like to call AI, which I call algorithms. To me, it's just code is stepping up into automation here. And uh, something else is going on with banking, clearly. Everyone heard about what the Vatican did, ordered all its money home, you know, by the end of last month, September, I think they gave 30 or 33 days notice. These are unprecedented times. We will also probably touch on crypto and people who have followed along and know exactly how I feel about it, but we're going to hear from Kalina. You're not going to hear good things about crypto. If you don't want to hear true assessments about crypto, this might not be the show for you. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a lovely good morning. All right. We're getting free free water from God today. It is raining. Anyhow, welcome, Kalina. Oh, hello, Crow. Thanks for having me back. All right. So it's been a while since you were on. And actually, I should have searched to find the last episode, which I can do very quickly unless you remember. 384. There you go. Uh, I, sh- <laughs> I should have known better. So Kalina joined us on 384. Um, there's a lot going on and Kalina's got a lot going on. So we're going to cover a lot of big ideas here and we've got a lot to go through. Where do you want to jump in, Kalina? Yeah. So I know Rose has been asking me to do a little update since the last time we spoke um, with the temple, since I think a few of our resources could help maybe your audience. And so I'm going to just quickly share some updates and then we can get into the meat and potatoes of today. Okay. Okay. So since you guys know, um, we opened up a little temple. I think I told you guys all about that in episode 384. And since then, we have happily and successfully served over 15 religious exemptions. And those very exemptions have actually helped Canadians fly. We were the only ones that I know of that had um, success in getting Canadians out of the country and back in sans any mandates. Um, And we also have helped our people get into places like Germany, Lebanon, Israel, and in often cases, you know, reunite, reunite with their families after they hadn't seen them for so long. On the same tip, we helped a lot of people immigrate into the United States. So for example, if their country was super more tyrannical than ours somehow, those people have successfully been helping each other migrate into the United States using our paperwork. And aside from that, we've had like 50 calls privately on the Temple backend. And it's just community members and Temple members and guest teachers who just want to share some um, content that they can't really put out in the public. So you'll find that on our website. And I guess to continue on in the spirit of that, we've also launched our own app. And here shortly, probably by the time of this release, there's going to be a ton of new features on there um, where you can chat with like-minded, list your business services. Because I really think um, that's going to be a priority for us to start uh, having direct contact with people who provide services and those who want to buy it, and especially as the upcoming social credit score system continues its march towards tyranny. 
Also, I had a lot of inquiries previously in regards to the temple and how I set up Temple Sequoia. And while unfortunately, I don't have the bandwidth to go and mentor each person individually, I have launched a ministry mentoring package with a couple modules on there, seven modules, which you'll learn everything that I did if you want to follow in our footsteps. So yeah, I think that that kind of covers all of it so far that we've done. Okay. So uh, you started there by pointing out 1500 exemptions. Those were success, successful exemptions, by the way. Is this the methodology and documentations that we covered in the first episode that you were on with us? Are you still using these tactics? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, to serve your community, because <laughs> they're so big, we added like an automated generator. So you can just click, you can put in the names and it'll automatically generate your affidavit with like a legal timestamp and a QR code and all that stuff. That's actually, you know, it's, it's uh, working out pretty well. Okay. So we probably should open with this, but just make sure everybody knows how to find you and how to access what we're talking about here. Yeah. Well, I think by the time that we release, um, we'll have an app out, which is just templesaquaria.com uh, is the website. And then the app will also be templesaquaria. Okay, perfect. So um, I see here on the notes, though, you're releasing your own tarot deck, which is interesting to me. As you know, when uh, years ago, I just thought tarot decks were more hocus pocus, and I hadn't realized uh, what they actually mean. It was another effort to encode important ideas. Maybe you could liken it to what was done with the cathedrals, actually. Uh, and most people can't imagine that what I'm saying is true, but that's what I found to be correct. And I went all the way back to the Marseille deck, looking for the oldest decks, but mm -hmm. you're you're personally releasing a deck, are you? Yeah. So actually it's inspired by the Marseille. Uh, it's in the order of the Marseille, but it's kind of a little bit of a fusion into how I view the path of the fool. And I'm really excited about it because it's actually going to be like a decentralized app and as well as a physical deck. I'm almost done with all the little details with the book. And hopefully by the time that this releases, it'll be available for print too. But it's been, um, I find that like when I'm, my mind is researching so hard into the techie aspects of things, I need an artistic outlet to like reunite with my divine feminine natural self, you know, cause like too much into the hardcore research and math, I have to balance it out. And this has been like my passion project. Well, I like how you describe that, uh, viewing the overall idea of a tarot deck uh, in that particular aspect is the path of the fool. Um, very few people, I think, are aware that how the ordering of the deck, the artwork of the deck, the limited colors of older decks, um, they all had a meaning and they all played a role. And one of my favorite ways to think about that and view it is as the path of the fool. And who is the fool, Kalena? <laughs> well, it's the querent, right? It's us. It's us. We are the fool. We are the people wandering, bumping our heads, stubbing our toes through this life. Uh, and the implication there is that you do not have to remain a fool, I think is the main message that I would take away. Is there anything you'd add about that? Yeah. So this has been a concept that I really like. Oh, it's I'm so happy to get to talk about this because I wasn't planning on it, but to me, the journey of the fool is both the beginning and the end. And when you go through all the initiations, tests, and lessons and victories of the major arcana, you end up also at the fool. And why is that? Because once you've achieved and attained that level of mastery, the rest of the world looks at you as a fool. And it's from there that you get to either forget everything you learned and wipe your mind, so to speak, and go back and enter the game of life as the original fool who truly doesn't know. Or you can remain at this level of mastery 
and exist in the world creating. And I think a lot of us are kind of approaching this aspect of ourselves right now because of all the information that we retain and have gained over our research and our spiritual pursuits, we're already the fool at the higher level. So yeah, I I just think it's a, a real beautiful way to look at life. Jason, do you want to add anything in here? I'm about to jump onto the idea of uh, jurisdiction, uh, which is next up for us. Do you want to throw anything in here? What kind of decision are you making for the actual artwork for the deck? Mm, Well, that's a secret, but they're already done. You'll have to wait and see. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So um, if we, let's just skip that number nine one, because I'm going to talk about it a little later. Okay. Because today's talk has nothing to do with what we just shared with the updates. And I wanted to tie it in with basically like what inspired today's talk. And since we sat together last episode, I really spent a lot of time reflecting and trying to integrate and receive some of the lessons that I received from basically having to work like crazy to play catch up, to implement solutions that are going to help our people. And, you know, why I personally feel responsible for doing that is because I think you guys know I mentioned in the last episode, I've had this information for two decades. You know, I was blessed and maybe somehow given a task because I knew about September 11th prior to September 11th. (laughs) And then when it happened, it confirmed it. And I knew about all the plans, you know, what we saw the last three years that we're going to up and coming see with the social credit score system. Yet I was naive and I didn't do anything to activate and be of service when I was in a position to do that. And consequentially, when that time came that I had to step up and be of service, it was, it was very challenging to do that amount of work and that amount of research in sh- such a short time. So my main take home was if you have existing knowledge of something and you have the time resources to do it, then if you're like me, you're going to turn towards being of service in that regard. So I sat with this and I pondered like, well, what is my next project that I can preempt to start to brainstorm and bring about solutions for this? And obviously it was the social credit score, you know, tyranny that we're about to see. And that in a lot of ways, we already are seeing it hidden in the shadows. So I just was asking myself, like, well, what do I have to contribute? Like, how can my skills be of service to our communities? Because it's one thing to just be of service to random people. But when you're of service to those who support you and who are in service to you, it's this beautiful amalgamation of energy that just, it compiles on itself. So it's within that spirit today that I wanted to share my work to you and your audience as a possible solution. And of course, I want to really preface with saying that it's everybody's sacred responsibility to do your own due diligence. Of course, like do your own research and don't just trust what I have to share And I know that in Crow's community, where we always like to think for ourselves, but I just want to reiterate that to be truly autocratic or self-governing, you really have to be responsible for your own research. I'm merely presenting the research that I've come up with since our last talk and in an attempt to start bringing forth solutions that can help preserve human dignity and our way of life. Um, But I'm by no means the end-all be-all with this. And I really am hoping to inspire and encourage a collaboration between our community And if, you know, at the end of this talk, you don't feel capable of doing any of the suggestions that I have for us, well, perhaps maybe you'll be willing to lend your creative manifestation powers to help bring about solutions that are in honor and integrity with our free will for how we choose to live our life. 
So there's some important ideas there. I don't, I think to a person, the mentors that I consider in my life that are spiritually above where I've managed to place myself, the big ideas always come back to service to others. Matter of fact, there's never a time when service to others in the 3D material realm is not a big deal, but we could look around right now. What do we see that's missing? Like if we think about that old world that everyone wishes we could go back to, (laughs) which was in honesty, just to tee up for where we are now. But the point I'm making is what is one of the main things that's changed? People are not helping each other a lot. And what's worse is like the services that used to consider you, um, proud you're my customer and I'll treat you well, that service is also diminished. Matter of fact, it's the opposite now where you're struggling to keep a service because they could give a damn. They would rather shut you down or censor you or do something else. But this all in my mind comes back to the idea of service to others. And it is a powerful, powerful idea that gets overlooked quite often. Yeah. So One of the main take-homes that I've learned over these past almost three years now, it's taught me that this divine construct that some may call God will truly honor your free will and provide a path once you get very clear on what that is. And now given that path and that gateway might be super steep and narrow and maybe treacherous at times and challenging, but we will be given a way to exist and maintaining our free will intact. I also think that it's with this inspiration that I've really allowed myself to push through my own preconceived biases, to investigate things from a perspective of neutrality and just trying to seek solutions. Like I just feel that when I did that, obviously our chances for finding actual solutions are going to rise dramatically. So um, I'm really thrilled to actually get to share this because it's been on my heart for a while. All right. Well, I'm going to drop an idea here, uh, which I thought about making into one of my rules of life that I sometimes call my personal laws. Like today is a good example. The only time I really ever turn on the television is to see my local weather because I don't really use my smartphone. And they're right, kind of more than any other source I have. And what I turned on this morning, they presented me with a threat level, which they often do. Matter of fact, more times than not. They refer to the weather as a threat. And what's going on here is it's going to rain. Now, in the 70s, when I was a child, um, they didn't cancel school unless the buses physically couldn't run. Now, what they do is they put a threat level up and they cancel it before it happens. And often it's an inch of snow they've canceled for. Think of the mindset that's behind that. And this is the idea. Every minute of our lives, and the reason I started thinking about this, by the way, is because of what people call AI, what I call algorithms. What they're doing now is seeking to monopolize every second of your life that they can. And that's what search returns are based on. Matter of fact, that's pretty much what the internet is based on now. But every minute of your life that you spend watching someone else's story is a minute that your story is not being written. And if you think about what I just said, it's exactly in line with what we're doing. And we need to become, I think the word that I was thinking of as you were speaking is autodidactic, I think is the right word, the idea of teaching yourself. And that goes in line with exactly what you just said, Kleena. It is critically important from my point of view to choose your path right now, to openly announce it to the universe, um, to reaffirm it daily, choose where you're going to go. 
Rose is <laughs> correcting me saying I should have said autocratic. I thought it was autodidactic. Maybe I blew that. But the main takeaway, clean as we get into where we're about to go, is the nature of online tools has been changing behind the scenes. And we've heard from some very wise people that are telling us that what we call AI is going to be running the entirety of the internet by 2025. I think I would step that up. I think that I would say that it's been running the majority of the internet for quite some time. And as of October of 2022, I think we've seen a real launching of sorts uh, for what's about to happen. What would you add? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to cover some of those ways in this talk. And our next section brings us to the topic of exposing the gravitas of the impending problem. <laughs> the surveillance state is obviously the problem, but also the crypto psyop. Uh, but before I get into that, Crow, I really have to highlight and bring our attention to two different schools of thought. The first one being that people who think that crypto will save us from the banking cartels and the infinite amounts of printing money. And a lot of people think that, by the way. That is rampant in a lot of communities. Yeah. That's one of the main marketing cells, Jason, <laughs> isn't it? Oh, we don't have to listen to the central bank. Yeah, totally. And then the second group of people is the group of people who believe that by digitizing our fiat, that it'll be the end of us, that AI will come in and be able to control and block us at any, any little discretion that they want. And I'm hoping to point out by the end of this talk, while they're both simultaneously incorrect, they're both obviously simultaneously correct. And it's within these little variances that I believe if we can search with the intention of finding a solution that absolutely is in regards to our free will, that we could potentially perhaps bring about a solution and discover solutions and create solutions collectively as a community. So let's get into the surveillance state. You guys ready? Yep. Okay. So we are told in movies, like they set up these really scary, sketchy things in movies, like, oh, this AI, the central computer is controlling everybody, you know, with all the movies that we've seen. And they have these precogs. Like, what was that movie with Tom Cruise and those like ladies in the water that could predict that you were going to do a crime before and they would come and like, you know, neutralize you? Tom Cruise Minority Report, based off of a Phil K. Dick story. That's it. Yeah. So, the media has kind of tricked us into feeling like we're not already in that scenario by making these elaborate stories that we're scared of inherently. But what we're not realizing is that we're already living in that scenario that most of us have come to fear most. We're already surveilled, tracked. And soon, I don't know if you guys heard about what PayPal just released. PayPal just released that saying that every time you uh, release what they would deem uh, misinformation, <laughs> which is completely subjective, they will fine you as much as $27,000, I'm sorry, $2,700 for spreading one item of misinformation per offense. Which, by the way, just so we make it clear, something happened with PayPal October 1. We're feeling the heat of that. I think it was around the 7th or the 9th when they made the announcement that you're talking about, I'm guessing. But within two days, they had backpedaled that. Yeah, 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 totally. They had a, a big thing on Twitter that I've seen people, and they I think they're reneging on that because that was set to take place November 3rd. But just like the rest of the stuff, that's like a test of the waters, right? Yep. Because then they're they're doing a test to collect data for their AI algorithms so that they, they can then create social engineering schemes to get us to accept that. So, but we're going to get into that. The next bullet point 
is titled The Frog and the Boiling Water. We're all familiar with that. And, you know, I want to start by highlighting how the internet was built and inherently flawed and how that flaw keeps rippling out as a fractal to all of our other, you know, our data and everything that we're using the internet for. So when the internet of today was built and mass adopted, we, I don't think that the users had the ability to foresee that we could run into such a dilemma where our data was literally being weaponized against us. And sadly, it's become more and more apparent. It's even been more mainstream, like with the Netflix documentary, which I personally think is probably just their way of disclosing to us, right? And getting our consent because we knew about it and yet we're still using it. And unfortunately, our lifestyles and our addiction keep us locked into these contracts that we're getting really less and less capable of having any power to say no to. We've crafted our lives, our businesses, everything around these internet goods and services. And now we're at the mercy of whatever these major service providers write in their terms of service. They update their terms of service and we just tick that box. And we assume that because this little act of ticking the box in the physical realm is so minuscule, we attribute that that also is minuscule. However, the ramifications of just ticking a little box is massive. You are literally forfeiting your rights you have under your normal jurisdiction of your country, which in most cases, as we've seen, you know, as jurisdictionary and Alphonse have proved, are, are good. They're still intact and honorable when you know how to utilize them. And instead, what we're doing is we're already giving ourselves up to the jurisdiction of the UN under Unidroit and the Vatican by international law. So tick these boxes. And what they all say in there is that, hey, you waive your right to a normal trial in your country. And instead, we are choosing who will oversee your case. We will provide mediation and you will just go along with it. So this has become a massive problem and not just for the fact that we're putting ourselves in their jurisdiction, but more for the spiritual implications of this. We've consented. Now they can legally violate you, waive your rights at the simple click of a button with no karmic implications on their end. And yet we're left here completely disempowered to do otherwise because of this orientation of the internet. And my friend and mentor Asylum has taught me that the main flaw was that the internet was designed to be outward facing, server facing. It does not face the user. And that's the inherent flaw because all of our data is facing the public. I'm trying to wrap my head around what you just said, but go ahead. Okay. So my next point, I just want to bring in some statistics to help paint this picture because it's kind of a hard concept to wrap our brains around. And so this is taken from that same mentor and friend I mentioned, Asylum. And he pulls some statistics that are quite old, but I think that they make a poignant point. And according to the Americans and Privacy Report of 2009, 81% of Americans feel they don't have any control over the data that's collected about them. 74% rarely or never even read the privacy policies online before agreeing to them. And 59% acknowledge that they don't even understand what's being said or done with our data. Now, I obviously would argue that those numbers are much higher because these these statistics came from 2009. So because also they have either by way of training humanity to do things like identity theft or their actual risks from human human nature, we have now identity theft, which 
forced us to entrust our data to these large so-called trusted institutions to quote unquote protect our data. And why is this trust so dangerous? It's because we actually don't know what these people are doing. And even me, I'm fully aware of a lot of these psyops for a long time. And I've studied this one specifically, and I still have a hard time conceptualizing the power that they have due to algorithms with such massive pools of data that we so freely give to them. And the result of that is social engineering. And these powers are miles ahead of us in regards to this only because they have access to all the world's data. And with these algorithms, they can sift through and they can you know, formulate and create seamless controlled opposition schemes and mind control and overall socially engineered systems that are massively affecting society at large. And these things I would propose are doing, are creating algorithmic schemes that are finally getting humanity to do things it would never do without massive alteration to its input, right? It's creating these scenarios where the alchemical polarities that we find in nature are getting absolutely skewed, turned inside out and upside down, and oftentimes just completely neutralized. And we know from alchemy and even chemistry that the only time that we can create an electrical field is with polarities. And what they've done effectively is they are squashing the polarity of humanity using these advanced social engineering schemes that is coming, in my opinion, specifically from these algorithmic uh, types of controlled opposition and social engineering schemes. So I, I guess I would add something to that. I think you were very generous in how you described that. Jason and I are getting ready to record yet another episode on big data. Uh, as most people listening, I have a degree in internet technology and my first big internet job that I was going to make a million dollars at and didn't, they were the first wave of data mining and algorithms data mining. And they were doing it for advertisements. Uh, the real problem here is that the polarity idea that Kalina laid down, those used to be natural systems. In other words, there was an idea that when these possibilities occur, the energy can be used in this way. Uh, now what's going on is the entirety, well, not the entirety, but the lion's share of what the AI do is predictive. How many times have you sat down and said, oh my God, here's an ad for a winter coat. And just yesterday I was thinking or talking to someone that I needed a winter coat. This damn box is listening to me. Well, yes, it is listening to you, but not in the way you think. What's actually happened there is the algorithm based on data mining at a level that is incomprehensible, has accurately predicted and actually knew that you were going to want the coat before you sat down to openly tell yourself you wanted the coat. And the real shame in all this is because when they get ready to do something, they can model it first, which means any given thing that is going to be rolled out will be modeled most times to a 98% certainty. I would add all that clean it because really the power money has not been king since probably around 2000, but it is officially no holds barred, hands down data is king now. And this is why because it gives basically whoever controls it like a time machine. Anyone who doesn't get what I'm talking about can go look at the wisdom of the crowd. That is the most preschool kindergarten version of what data mining can do. And you can do it with a thing of gumballs and a couple hundred people to prove the power. 
But there you go, Queen. I, I think it's important to kind of underscore that this is massive power we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And it's incredible that you would share that because it helps me deepen my understanding as well. Because I, I don't fully grasp at those levels either. But from you having insider experience with that, you can bring that to the table. And I think it also, it, it goes, I mean, it's worth adding the spiritual aspects of this too, right? If we look at a battery, you can't get an electrical charge without positive and negative. And I believe that it is those divine, delicate polarities alchemically that we see in nature of positive and feminine and masculine and, and uh, feminine and positive and negative that are the electrical current to creation and how to run this construct and dream your dreams into reality. So with that being said, I'm going to get into our next bullet, which I think everybody's excited to hear about today, which is the crypto psyop. And um, to do that, I want to share my story with crypto. I briefly got into it just out of curiosity. And then uh, I let, I, this was like years ago. And I put like, I don't know, 45 bucks in Bitcoin on a silly app. And then I let it go because I just forgot about it. And one day I woke up and that number was like extremely large. <laughs> I was like, whoa. So of course I was like, wow, let me go study this. And I paid for all the you know silly expensive classes. I followed all these influencers on YouTube and the Bitcoin bros and the shitcoin shillers. And I was just like, I was finding it really hard to nail down any sort of thing like solidity. I couldn't find anything that felt and satiated me as truth. Truth became kind of slippery. And I noticed that when I would ask questions, complexity started piling upon complexity. And which then I started to basically be like, hmm, this is BS. <laughs> because when I asked specific questions, the fact that those answers were unknown were hidden by complexity. So that's how I knew this wasn't the path for me. I set that down and I didn't look back, but I had a little tiny like intuition ping, I guess, in the back of my head that said, look, there might still be a solution here, but you have to really dig deep and find something that serves your privacy. And I let it go. I actually switched gears, studied the law stuff intensely. And just about the time that I feel like I felt really good about my addition to the world in terms of like help around the last PSYOP, I actually started to hear whispers of a somewhat underground community of privacy enthusiasts that had spent you know decades in the shadows working on solutions that were more aligned with what I was hoping to have in my ideal life. I sought out this community um, called the Darrow community, and I began my education and tutelage under these people, which honestly, they were, they're a real closed off community. I guess they are used to getting infiltrated by a lot of people that either are bots or scammers, and they weren't really interested in teaching me anything. And honestly, Crow, it's only because of you. I mentioned in the chat one day, one of your episodes, and a couple people in there were Crow listeners. And then we became, that was like the door that opened for me. And I'm very grateful for that because they actually taught me about the crypto psyop and I had no clue because I was still in like drinking the Kool-Aid of the surveillance chain that I didn't even know was surveillance chain. And some of the things that they taught me, I was super shocked to learn. They taught me about a concept called pseudo anonymity. And we're going to get into that because that's a, a very important thing. And they taught me about the concept of surveillance chain. And it's interesting because like all of us felt it in our hearts. We felt it. We knew that something was deeply amiss with crypto and it was. And what I discovered 
99.9999999% of crypto is what I would call surveillance weaponry. It repeats the same errors of the internet, being that it's server facing and it's simply set up to surveil you. (laughs) And furthermore, we pay third party services to surveil us as a service and we don't even realize it. Most crypto is set up to be um, only usable with these same, the same type, the same brand of trusted third-party entities that act as gatekeepers to your transactions. They tell you what you have in your wallet. They tell you what you can and can't do. And we don't realize it because none of us have actually gone out there and done the research to understand how this works. We open up our MetaMask wallet. It gives us, you know, it populates a number in our little account and says, you have this much Ethereum. When in fact, how does that data get to you so quickly? And people believe that the inner or that crypto is decentralized. Well, if it's decentralized, then why aren't you using your own equipment to find that? You know, there's a big difference. We're still being lazy and we're paying these two companies, Alchemy and Infura, to surveil us so that we can have our data on demand at any point we want. But the reality is, if you were truly using that in a way that was even somewhat a tiny bit more private, which still it wouldn't work, because, and I'll tell you about that later, but you would have to download a node, sync your device, and it would take like a week to get that information. And because we want it lickety split... We hire these other companies, but people don't know that we're hiring these gatekeepers. And so what happens as a result of having to hire gatekeepers? Well, we all saw whether what, regardless of whether you think the Canadian trucker was a psyop or whatever, we, we know that there was a censoring and a blocking of the fundraiser that they had, or at least we were told that, right? And so some people switched to trying to send crypto to the Canadian truckers. However, I think this was actually one of the most positive things to expose the crypto psyop. MetaMask blocked all wallets involved with the uh, the Canadian truckers. Now, how can that be? Kalina, crypto is decentralized. Well, is it? No. And I'm going to paint a very clear picture, right? Exactly. It's not. (laughs) And I thought crypto was to help everybody. Well, I, I appreciate the job you've taken and you pointed out there was so much normalization going on in the Canadian trucker idea. But think about this for a moment. I've said this a million times. It's important. So I'll say it again. When we go to digital currency, if we go to digital currency, everybody will have agreed that wealth does not equal value. Not only does wealth not equal value, in other words, it has no intrinsic value, there will be no constitutional protection, regardless of whether you think you're under the constitution or not, there will be no protection in the world that will prove that you can own something. Currently, with gold and specie, things made by God, the creator, you can own title on things, and it is protected. Now, whether or not you're subject to the constitution, I'm not getting into that argument right now, but let's just do a simple exercise here. Let's take a word like blockchain. When you say a word, energy is created, regardless of whether you think what I'm going to say about it is correct or not, and you shouldn't, you should come to your own conclusion. But what I'm about to tell you is logically sound. You say a word, energy is created, that energy can be measured. Now, think of a word like murder. 
When I say murder, have I put positive energy into the world or negative? Now think of the idea that the word murder has been normalized in some way. So every time someone says it, they think they're saying a good thing. Okay. But the word murder, nonetheless, since the beginning of time, puts the energy into the world it does. The only thing that's changed is the intent, which does affect the outcome a little. Let's take blockchain. Is a block the angles of sorrow? Is the word lock in block? Is the letter is the number two, which is typically equated with Crowley's evilest of numbers, 11, which is also two. Was there a time when supposedly slaves were chained to the auction block? Just use logic like that. Crypto, there's another one, the word. It's using the word crypt. What is a crypt? If you were talking about a crypt in general, what would be the vibe that you're thinking? You're thinking there's some dead people packed in a box in this place. These are all cues to the language we're using. And I think it's just important to put it out there because it is an easy rule of thumb for anyone who wants to, to remember words have meaning. Let's review what I'm seeing here. And now let me try to figure out whether I think these are good ideas or not. But make no mistake, from a spiritual aspect, crypto is undefensible. If you want to set that aside, maybe you'll come to a different outcome. But anyhow, Jason, anything you want to add about crypto? I know you you had a little fungible fun for a while there. Uh, I mean, I have a little bit. And uh, the primary situation I have with anything crypto related is on Rockfin because that's how they pay you. Mm. It's in their tokens. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. That, so it's not a big deal. I don't even know how to crack their code really as far as you put up this, you put up that, and you get X amount of tokens, whether it's private, whether it's public. I, I don't even know. I, I just They give me tokens every now and then that uh, I got to be honest, it helped out when my uh, air conditioning died. I was able to, 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 to ditch some and uh, pay the over $6,000 needed to get a complete and total replacement in my studio. So it has its uses, but I'm not fooled into uh, complete reliance on it because, well, I know better. Well, don't worry, because I'm definitely going to cover Rockfin. And actually, I did some research on the, the etymology of crypto. And I also wanted to just add in here, which adds to the crypto psyop, right? The original, like the mathematicians that started creating avenues of encryption, they did it because they wanted to preserve privacy, right? So I think we need to draw a distinction between crypto and encryption. Crypto, as we know it today, has been co-opted. But previously, it blockchain was not called blockchain. It was called time chain. And it was just meant to show your monetary transactions. But then I think maybe they already had an algorithmic a way of um, sorting through data, knowing the, the implications of time chain were much more positive than blockchain. A scam coin came out and they called itself time chain and they ripped off a bunch of people. Time chain was slowly abandoned right around the time in my theory, where crypto became uh, co-opted. And I'll, I'll, I'll paint this picture out too. And then they called it blockchain. Ever. Yeah, it's interesting. And so crypto also, as we know, crypto comes from encryption, which is just a way of protecting your data from the powers that were. And we know that the root word of crypto is Calypso because R's and L's used to be interchangeable. And so Calypso eventually turned into crypto. And eventually, like originally, it was a place like a hidden cave where people hid their treasure and their heirlooms, which later turned on to putting, they they put their dead in there because they were starting to bury their dead with treasure. 
and they didn't want looters to come and rob the grave. So yes, it does come from crypt. Um, but in, in this orientation, I don't think the people who intentionally like started encryption, I don't think that they a knew about etymology or cared too much. <laughs> and I think that this whole movement was co-opted, but those were in my bullet points at number 23. So I'm going to go back up here and well, just we, we should on. point out before you leave that behind Calypso, mm-hmm. which is also drawn from Greek mythology, which we have covered so much in the older stories. She, what did she do? She enslaved Odysseus for seven years. So, I mean, Words have meaning, Mm -hmm. however you want to look at it. And anything that comes from Greek, uh, you're going to have a hard time convincing me the intent wasn't there. But anyhow, that's just me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. I actually didn't, I didn't put that together. I didn't go that far. I'm glad you brought that in. That's from, uh, that's from the Odyssey. And, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey of all the Greek stuff is probably the most read. And I don't want to say understood because very few people bother to understand it, but they're aware of it because of Hollywood and other things. Um, I'm just making the point. And so much of what we have seen happen, Jason, think how many episodes have we done to show what's going on in the world is reflected in Metamorphosis, in, help me out here, Virgil's Ennead. You remember, we've done a number of them to include CNN launching into the stratosphere, using the old Greek myth to throw Veritas or truth down the well, which was what baby Jessica actually is symbolizing. But anyhow, I'm sorry, Kalina, go ahead. Oh, no, it's okay. Yeah. So the we kind of left off on painting a picture of why and just basically the power that these third-party trusted so-called entities have over us within the crypto world. 99.9% of all cryptos are what I would call a surveillance chain and a WEF wet dream. <laughs> and some of the developers within crypto have realized that this was going to be a problem and they've attempted to create solutions. For example, what we would call a layer two, like Tornado Cash, which is essentially just a tumbler where you can interact within the Tornado Cash uh, app, if you will. It'll tumble around your identity to try to anonymize your data. But what that equates to is like, let's say you live in a house completely surveilled by Alexa and you're only allowed to do specific tasks and you really want to get a little breath of fresh air. So you build a little space in your attic. You build an, a ladder to go up into your attic. You can go up there and you can do whatever you want. You can chill out. You can read a book. You can take a nap. But then you come back down because you ultimately have to go make some food in the kitchen. You come back down that ladder. And guess what? Alexa sees you coming back out from the attic and dings you and blocks your account. This is what happened with the Tornado Cash Tumblr. It's a layer two, right? So the layer two is the addict. And I think that this was super amazing in the world of crypto because it really highlighted the vulnerabilities within a lot of these people's attempts to create layer two solutions. And I do feel like there's a few that have done it properly, which I'll get to in hour two. But also I would argue that because of pseudo anonymity, crypto as we know, the majority of the chains are even more dangerous than fiat. And I'll tell you why. Well, not only is it not fungible, and I mean, anybody can argue with me on this, and I I invite you to try to prove your point that Bitcoin or Ethereum is fungible, but that is in fact not the case. Fungible means that every like unit is equal to itself, but it's not. Because if your Bitcoin interacted with, say, something that they deemed shady, 
well, your Bitcoin is now flagged. Your money is no good here. One unit does not equal one unit. That is so brilliant, Kalina. What you just said there is so freaking brilliant. Um, everyone should pay attention to what just got said there because this undermines one of the basic tenets uh, using their fancy words, fungible, with most people have to go look up, which me and Jason had to go look up. By the way, this was the butt of the Rick and Morty series where Rick killed all the aliens by turning their currency from one of itself into none of itself. That's how he brought down an empire. And I'm sorry for interrupting, but what you just said there was a genius observation. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I put a lot of study into this, but from a different perspective, from truly trying to seek a solution, which I do hope to present to you guys. Um, and I, I hope that by the end of this talk, we can find a common ground where we can start creating solutions that are in alignment with our values. So that's fungible versus non-fungible. And I do think that there's like, if you're going to create a digital currency, it has to prove that it's going to be better than a physical one. And there's only like one case where that can actually happen, but I'm not going to talk about that right now. Now, if that wasn't enough reasons to not be involved with mainstream crypto, this one's going to help you there, help you get there. There is no protection for non-native assets, like for example, on the Ethereum chain. And all these chains are basically copy pasted from an, a prior chain, and they're all um, exhibiting the same inherent flaws because people aren't trying to recreate something in a way that is actually user-facing with the exception of one. They're just trying to get rich quick. And I think that a lot of these people who are shilling their shitcoin and even these influencers, they've lost their way. And they believe that it's all about the money and somehow they're just chasing the money. But that's the problem within all of the systems that we see right now on earth. It's greed driven. Just say, mm -hmm. say, call it what it is. It's greed driven, right? And that should be the foundational understanding of what we're talking about. Yeah. And I mean, I have compassion too, right? Because the, the way that this construct is set up and run right now is that we're all competing with each other instead of collaborating. And when we're in a co competition base, we're just so we're so drained. And so I have, I have compassion for some of these people that are truly trying to just feed their families. But uh, to get back on track here, non-native assets are not protected in the Ethereum. Let's just use Ethereum because a lot of chains are copy paste from Ethereum because developers are too lazy to learn about it, discover its inherent flaws and fix it. It's a lot of work. And so when we talk about non-native assets, I would like to give you the gumball machine analogy that one of my mentors imparted to me. If you take a gumball machine, and I think it's cute that we already mentioned gumballs, so we were already primed for this, but so a gumball machine, let's consider the gumball machine, the Ethereum blockchain. And people think that when you buy some of its non-native assets, uh, like uh, Ray from Rockfin, that's an, that's an ERC-20, which is on the Ethereum blockchain. They think that they're putting their quarter in the gumball machine. The gumball machine spits out the gumball. You put that gumball in your pocket and it's yours. And that's not what's happening. Actually, what's happening is you're just getting a little list, like glued to the side of the gumball machine that says, all right, you know, you own two gumballs. She owns all the pink ones. All right. You know what I mean? It's a list. So what happens if they destroy that gumball machine? guess what? You ain't got no gumballs. Now that is called, um, actually, I can't remember what that's called, but 
there's another type of structure that hardly anybody is using, which actually more closely mimics cash. And it's called an emission type. And in emission, there's only one blockchain that I know of. And it's, you can't even call it a blockchain. It's actually just like a platform to build apps on that spits out that asset and it's yours. They could destroy everything and you would never lose that asset. And that's called emission. So that would be the equivalent of taking that gumball and putting it in your pocket. So I think I've done a good job here at painting the picture that a lot of these are surveillance technology. So they're scanning and um, Infura and Alchemy are scanning all your transactions. And have you ever stepped out of line in their eyes, whatever they deem with their little subjective opinions that could change at any time, boom, your account is blacklisted. And I would even go as far as to say, like to share here, (laughs) one of the cool things that happened with this whole tornado cash event, people started finding other addresses for like major corporations like Adidas and all these other corporations and sending them even one ETH or like 0.1 ETH that was quote unquote dirty, which got their accounts blocked too, because everything's public. So that's how not safe any of this is. There's a few things that I would mention, and I will start with everybody probably remembers the story, which is a psychological operation. It's put out in the world for a reason. Supposedly, one of the richest crypto holding guys in the world had a crap load of crypto in a wallet. Problem is, he forgot his password. He got he already had two attempts. And on the third one, if he fails, he's locked out forever. Whether or not that story is even true, this was blasted out into the minds of everybody. But let me ask you a, a, a really no-nonsense question here. I don't, you know, we're not arguing that crypto is the best solution. I mean, uh, you know, the money that we use now, dollar bills, fiat, it was a lot better when it was backed by specie, gold. And there's a spiritual reason why that's true as well. But how is it that a new currency that's supposedly separate from everything isn't stable? They're all currencies that are not stable. Any currency that is not stable, what does that tell you? And I want to hear, Queen, what you have to say about this, but I'll make the point. Someone might say, well, gold is unstable too. Well, actually, it's not. In reality, it's not. In the systems we use, it is. And that underscores the point I'm trying to make. When the creation put some gold in the ground, an ounce of it is an ounce of it. Never will an ounce of it be a fraction of an ounce. Never will an ounce be more than an ounce. If you have an ounce, that's what it will be until the end of time. An ounce is an ounce. When it goes into the markets, then again, it becomes unstable. And this unstability of what we call cash or you know the way we buy things, we have always had to contend with it. Oh, there's inflation. Oh, there's this. Oh, there's it's manipulations. But Kalina, how is crypto any better in this regard? Because from what I know of crypto, it's never been stable. Yeah. So a few things here. I, I want to make a distinction between what we're told is crypto And I want to really correct that. That is surveillance technology or even surveillance weaponry. True crypto is encrypted and it's truly made for the purposes of protecting your data. It's just a tool to protect your data. Now, whether that has some financial um, attachment to it it is really, for me, neither here nor there. For me, I am mostly interested in finding the platforms where we're going to be able to build our new, like basically migrating from the old internet to a new system where we know 
it's inherently user facing where we're going to be protected in terms of our data, where it can't be, right? And so people might attribute value to that financially like a stock. Uh, but I personally, I don't think in this regard, because I have my research has led me to the Darrow community and they have a lot of technology there. And you can tell it's like real grassrootsy. It's made by people you know, that are geniuses, but the community is real small and all the applications on there are being built by people like me. And I've built some myself. And it's because I believe that that's going to protect my right to my data and keep it hidden, not because I believe it's going to make me money, right? So I think that there's a distinction there and we have to, as a collective, decide if we're going to go down the train of wanting to get super rich and go down the world of like the fake crypto, the surveillance crypto, or are we going to let that go altogether and invest our money and attention into creating solutions for us that preserve human dignity? I don't think that the majority of us are equipped and prepared to just run off into the jungles and exist evermore. Maybe if you're like Amish or something, but I feel like we shouldn't have to make that distinction either. I really feel that if we brainstorm enough together and dream a reality into existence, we can still connect over the internet in ways that honor privacy and and, and keep intact in like our free will of what we want. So I would say that I'm, I'm, my goal here is to unveil and disclose that what we have been told as crypto is in fact not crypto because true crypto is an encryption platform. And crypto shouldn't even be thought of as money. It's a way to preserve our privacy. So I hate to do this, but hold that thought. We're going a little bit over. Kleena, sure. can you quickly tell people where they can find you online? We really do need to wrap here. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So templisaquaria.com and you can also download Templus Aquaria app, but I really hope you guys listen to hour two because I'm going to get into some really juicy solutions. All right. That brings hour one of episode 453 with Jason Lingren and Colleen Alex of Templus Aquaria to a close. When we come back, I'm going to open up with some no-nonsense ideas about gold, which is the representative spiritual idea, which underlines really what we're talking about here. Uh, the first hour is free to everybody at pro777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777 radio.com. Members know to log in for the full show. I'm also going to open up the next hour with the idea of wealth stripping, which is reflected in the gold and silver market now. And with that, I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing.